Revelation chapter number 8 will begin in verse number 5. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And men, many men died of the waters because they were made bitter." And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise, and I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe! Woe is the inhabitants of to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Today we're going to talk about the trumpet judgments of Revelation and particularly these first four trumpets part 1 are the ecological judgments. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father we, we pray for your grace and we pray for clarity of mind. Uh, Lord, I just uh, confess that it seems like my mind is just not uh, as sharp this morning as I'd like for it to be. And I'm asking you for help, Lord. The people came today to be ministered to, to be fed the Word of God. And Lord, uh, what we're speaking about here today is a very complex subject. And Lord, I, I don't pretend, as you know, to understand everything about it. But Lord, we're going to do our best to give a biblical understanding of this text, to to teach the things that we know to be true, and we pray, Father, that you would help us to make personal and practical application, help us to be warned of what is coming to this earth, and there be one here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Lord, would you use the truth of your word to draw them to you Edify your saints, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Trumpet judgments. Trumpets in the Bible generally mean two things. They're either a call to war or a call to worship, and these trumpets certainly are a call to war. Paul said in the book of Corinth, 1 Corinthians, he said, talked about the trumpet making a certain sound, and uh, the sound of a trumpet needed to be with certainty. And in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, while they were in the wilderness, God had established certain types 
of the sounding of the trumpet, a certain amount of blasts, and the length of those blasts would all indicate certain things. Which tribe's going to move forward? Who's going to battle first? Is this a battle cry or a battle call, or is this a call to congregate and gather for worship or for instruction? But the blasts of those trumpets all significant, were all significant to a certain type of communication. And so God uses trumpets to communicate. I heard a story about a, a man whose wife got a severe case of laryngitis. I mean, she couldn't speak at all. And so the man trying to help his wife, he devised this system by which she could tap in order to communicate certain things. And so this system is like if she tapped one time, that meant I love you. If she tapped two times, that meant I want to kiss. If she tapped seven times, that meant no. And if she tapped 75 times, that meant take out the garbage. (laughs) Pretty smart thinking. These trumpets were to communicate war. You say, what kind of war? Is this a war between nations of this earth? No, not at all. Exodus 15, verse number 3, the Bible says, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Isaiah the prophet said the same thing, talking about the tribulation period, about God, the Lord, being a man of war. And what we see here is God waging war upon this earth. These judgments are associated with the seven seals. I mean, in fact, we we read in verse number 1 previously that when the seventh seal was opened, then out came these seven trumpet judgments. So they're associated. And while the seven seal judgments are no small thing, i got to say they're a picnic compared to these. Not like a picnic we had yesterday, but certainly in comparison, I I don't want to be around here when the seal judgments are opened, but even more particularly, I'm glad I'm not going to be here. You can be here if you want, but I don't recommend it. I'm glad that uh, by the Word of God, I'm getting out of here before all of this takes place. But as a reminder, you might be sitting there saying, well, as a, as a Christian, as a believer, if I'm going to be out of here, what, why do I even need to know about this? Well, Revelation 1, verse number 3 says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. It is important for us, even in this church age, if we are right, and I believe that we are, that the church will be raptured out of here. Revelation 2 and 3 are Christ's admonition to the churches. And after Revelation 3, you don't find anywhere that the church is mentioned. You find Israel and you find all of the pagan nations of this world and you find judgments, but you do not find the church being present here. I believe we're going to be out of here, but still, the Bible says here, Jesus says that if we read it, and we hear, and we keep these things, then He has a special blessing upon us. Now look at verse number 5 with me once again. We see that the angel takes the censer, he fills it with fire from the altar, he casts it to the earth, and when he casts this 
fire from the altar in heaven. This is the third heaven where the throne of God is. He cast it down, and all of those coals from the altar, they passed through all of the universe. And by the way, we're so limited by space and time, but God is not. Amen? God's not limited at all. And those those coals pass through the universe and they're cast down to the earth. And with that, we find that there are voices, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. One earthquake, not many, but one. And I believe that this earthquake is going to be felt throughout the entire globe. Verse number five seems to be consistent with Exodus 19.16. Consider this. Now, Exodus 19.16, Moses is going up to Mount Sinai before the presence of God. And the Bible says that the whole Mount Sinai was on fire. Listen, the presence of God is an awesome thing, folks. I mean, it is an awesome. The Bible says, for our God is a consuming fire. Hey, forget about the cherry-picking modern... Uh, preachers and evangelists who only tell you about the God of love and how God loves and accepts you no matter what you do and how you are. God is a holy God, and He is a God that is a consuming fire. He's someone to be taken seriously. And there on Mount Sinai, when he gave his commandments, it says, and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. It seems like these thunders and lightnings and at times even earthquakes are a precursor to the Lord sounding those trumpets. At least it appears to me that there is a connection. God is a consistent God. You know, the Bible, people today talk about, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. I've got news for you. He's the same God. And the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. I'm not here to tell you that everything that's written in the Old Testament is doctrinally applicable to us today, but I am saying that it is written for our learning, and we can learn what God likes and what He dislikes. And if something in the Old Testament was an abomination to God, it's probably still an abomination to Him today. We ought to take heed to those things. But in verse number 7, I want to draw your attention to the first trumpet. It says, once again, let's read it. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. Here we see something. We see hail, which is balls of ice, and you know, it's been a while since we've had a really nasty hailstorm around here. I'm not superstitious, I just, we were, we, when we first moved here, we, we didn't get a lot of real big hailstorms out west where we lived. And short at, shortly after we moved here, within the first year, we had a really bad hailstorm. We're parked here out in, in the, the church parking lot. And so I pulled over by the buses. I tried to get under one of the trees. And I mean, it calmed down for just a little bit. And I mean, there were, there were 
hailstones coming down about the size of a quarter. And I'm like, this is going to mess up my car. My paint's going to crack my windshield. I'm trying to find shelter. I couldn't find any. It calmed down just a little bit. And so we went, we got in the car, and we started to pull out the parking lot. Let's get home before it's too late. We're driving out of the church parking lot, and here it comes again. So we pulled on a museum road, and instantly, one of the first houses right across the road, I just pulled in underneath their carport. My wife's hitting me. Don't do that. What are you doing? What are you doing? You know? And she didn't know that that's where the Watsons lived. <laughs> we pulled in, and I said, I think the Lord wants us to visit Brother... Dillard and Sister Dare Watson. <laughs> she, she, she didn't know. It was a pretty good joke at the time. But we got out from... A, hail is not something you want to be out in. Hail is frozen ice, but here we have frozen balls of ice mingled with fire that is coming down. That's an interesting thing. And then mingled with that, we have something... We have blood... And can you imagine, here's, you know, balls of ice that are bouncing out there on the parking lot. You've got fire that's coming down, and when it hits the parking lot, you know, fire or coals of fire, they want to spread out, and, you know, it's going to have a different effect than the frozen hail, but then you have this blood that's coming down. Uh, I don't want to be here, do you? And this is similar to the seventh plague on Egypt in Exodus 9, verses 23 through 26. We'll not take the time to read it, but it's almost exactly what God did in Egypt when he was trying to get Pharaoh's attention. Now, the biggest difference is that in Egypt, the Israelites were protected. That hail and that fire did not land in the land of Goshen, but What's different about this is that Israel is not going to be protected. In fact, we could say from the Bible teaching is that one of the purposes of this first trumpet is to get Israel's attention. The tribulation is spoken of as a time of Jacob's trouble. And so the whole globe, the whole world is being affected, but really God's attention is focused on Israel trying to get their attention and get them to repent. Now, the Bible commentators of the early 20th century likened this plague to an electrical storm. Now, if you go back to the late 1800s, early 1900s, electricity was kind of a still a new technology. And so they would liken this to like an electrical storm. But, you know, what's interesting is technology has changed. And so today, the modern commentators don't make a connection to this as an electrical storm, but rather a nuclear storm. Now, there are some similarities. And listen, I'm not saying that this is going to be a nuclear war. I don't believe this has anything to do with missiles that are fired from one nation or another. I don't believe it has to do with a bomb that was created by man, but it is possible. You know, the science behind the splitting of an atom, guess where that science came from? It didn't come from Germany. It came from God Almighty. All right? God's the one that created 
this universe and not only the outer space, but also the inner space with the workings of protons and molecules and atoms and so forth. I read that um, a, a scientific, there was a, a group that was making this connection between Bible prophecy and the science of a nuclear bomb. And let me just read what they had to say. And I'm not saying that this is absolute truth. I just think that it's, it's worthy conversation here. They said this, it is interesting that most of the prophecies that predict fire and brimstone accompanying the final battles also say that there will be hail produced by these events. Why hail? This effect is directly related to the powerful updrafts caused by the rising nuclear fireballs which form the characteristic mushroom clouds. The air surrounding the blast zone contains huge quantities of water from the atmosphere and even greater quantities of water produced by the blast. This moisture would rise into the stratosphere within minutes and would result in literal ice hailstorms formed far away from ground zero. Before the above-ground nuclear tests were abolished, many of them were accompanied by weather disturbances such as huge condensation clouds and hail. Hail was also discovered to be one of the after-effects of the uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Nagasaki blasts. This effect is similar to the strong updrafts that often accompany tornadoes and huge thunderstorms. However, with nuclear explosions, the updrafts occur with tremendously greater energies. Hey, is this first trumpet, is it going to be nuclear in its nature? I can't say that for certain, but it's going to be powerful and it's going to be amazing and it's going to be of the Lord, not of man, but of God. Some think that since North America appears to be absent from Bible prophecy, that this nuclear blast will obliterate North America completely, and really actually North and South America obliterate it, and then all of the hail and fire fallout from that mushroom cloud will take place throughout the rest of the world. Now, this is purely speculative, but um, whether it's nuclear or not, we do see that a third of the trees of planet Earth are burned up and all of the green grass. If you think about it, if there is fire and hail or even a nuclear blast to the degree that it's going to take out a third of the trees, then that energy is going to spread global and it's going to burn up all of the green grass. It's not necessarily going to destroy everything else. You know, green grass or grass is very prone toward uh, toward burning. It burns easily. There will be people that will be in houses, and it doesn't mean that their houses will be obliterated. It doesn't mean that the two-thirds of the rest of the trees will be obliterated, but it does say that all of the green grass on the earth at that moment is going to be burned. Now, fortunately for those that are left alive through this, uh, just like in Egypt, that green grass does begin to grow back quickly. But think about the effect of all of the smoke on the atmosphere from this hail, this fallout. 
not to mention the effect on the livestock industry. You lose all of the hay, and uh, what are you going to be feeding all of the cattle, whether it be cows or various types of livestock that are used to produce food and milk and so forth, all of some of the necessities of life. It's going to be very interesting for the humans that remain that are left here on planet Earth. But that is what the first trumpet is. It's going to be hail and fire mingled with blood. It's going to destroy a third of the trees of planet Earth, I guarantee you that all of the arbor foundations are going to be, uh, they're going to be pretty upset at God, even more so than they are now. And, you know, these environmentalists think that the problem with the earth is man. We're not the problem. We're not. I'm not saying that all that man does is being a good steward of this creation But I am saying that the environmentalists think that man's the problem and they think that everybody ought to leave this planet except for them. And and they like flying their jets and driving their cars. You say, well, they drive electric cars. Yeah, how are those batteries made? They're made in a plant that causes more pollution to the environment than the gas pump ever thought about causing. But they don't tell you that because there's a hidden ulterior agenda. And we know that, yeah, there are some conspiracies behind that. Who's behind it? Is it Pelosi and is it Putin? Is it Biden? I doubt it. All right. I doubt that Biden is masterminding all of these conspiracies. I think you doubt it as well. But maybe whoever's holding the strings is, but I'll tell you who's holding the strings. It's the devil himself. It's the mystery of iniquity that is already working according to the letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, all right? So the second trumpet we find in Revelation 8 and verses 8 through 9. Let's read it once again. It says, and the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire, was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. The first judgment, the first trumpet was on the land, but this one is on the sea. This judgment appears to be a massive burning meteor striking into the sea. And when we see the sea here, often in the Bible, it's referring to the Mediterranean Sea. But we also find references where sea, singular, is referring to all the oceans of planet Earth collectively. Is this mountain, is this meteor that's coming down from the sky that is burning with fire? Is it going to land in the Mediterranean Sea or somewhere else? I don't know the answer to that. But I do know this, that a third of the sea is going to be affected. It's going to be turned to blood. A third of the ships. And this is going to wreak havoc on the uh, ocean atmospheric conditions. Now, I want to draw attention now to a significant point that I haven't drawn any attention to as of yet. And we keep finding the word a third. 
a third, a third. And is that significant? Well, I think that we can say that whenever we find that third, it might possibly be associated with God's judgment upon Israel. The reason I say that is because there are numerous times where God is judging Israel. He's had it with them. He's done everything he can to try to correct them and turn their hearts back to him. And it's time for judgment. And he judges them numerous times, a third, a third, a third. Here is a good example in Ezekiel 5 and verse number 12. It says, A third part of thee shall die with the pestilence, and with famine shall they be consumed in the midst of thee. And a third part shall fall by the sword round about thee. And I will scatter a third part into the winds, and I will draw out a sword after them. And so we see a connection in the Bible with thirds of God's judgment as it is associated with Israel. Now, while we can conjecture the association to meteors and nuclear fallout, the massive amount of blood makes this totally supernatural. We can talk about nuclear fallout, we can talk about a meteor coming down, but a meteor that's landing in the sea is going to cause a lot of tidal waves and energy. Certainly we can see where those ships are destroyed, but for the ocean, the seas to turn into blood. Once again, it reminds me of the plague of Egypt. Now, the magicians of Egypt were able to duplicate turning water into blood, but only in a little bowl. They were only able to do it in a small manner that was kind of like what Moses did, but it was a very cheap substitute. How did they do that? I don't have all the answers to that. Perhaps it was some kind of a parlor trick, or I believe personally that it was probably some type of satanic witchcraft power that these magicians possessed. And Satan is able, he's a powerful being, he's going to be able to give life to an image in the tribulation period. He's going to be able to copy some of the miracles of the Lord in a cheap kind of way, but he cannot create life from nothing or from dust like the lice of Egypt. The magicians weren't able to do that. But i tell you one thing. It is certainly a supernatural, complete miracle of God to take the oceans of the world and turn a third of them into blood. I don't know what kind of blood this was. I Maybe it was, I don't know where it came from. And all I know is the significance of it. For God to do that on such a massive scale of quantity, we find in the Bible that blood is always significant of God's judgment. Now, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And if you'll recall, when the first blood was shed, I'm not talking about the animal in the garden, I'm talking about when Cain slew his brother Abel, the Lord showed up and he said, he said, the voice of your brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. The Lord said in the book of Leviticus, He said, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And He said that when you shed blood on the earth, it defiles the land. 
You know, all this violence and shedding of blood that's going on in our culture today, you know what it's doing? It is polluting the land. It's polluting our culture. It's polluting things socially and civilly. This land is becoming putrid and polluted and God's looking down upon it. Listen, I, I, I've been through, have you ever been to a landfill? It stinks. It is nasty. Have you ever, have you ever smelled blood that was left like a carcass? And that blood there, by the next day, it is putrid. And that is exactly, this earth has polluted, man has polluted this earth with the shed blood of man, and God's taking notice, and he says, you want blood? All right, I'll give you blood. And that's exactly what he's doing. It's significant of God's judgment. And that brings us to the third trumpet judgment. Look with me at verse number 10. It says, and the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter." This is God's judgment upon fresh water sources. He's already taken judgment upon the salt water, the seas. We see here that a third of the fresh water was made poisonous by this falling great star. Now, the, I think that the wording here is specific and it is relevant The second trumpet judgment was a mountain like it was on fire. You know, in a meteor, a a massive amount, regardless of the shape, let's say that it is pyramid or cone-shaped like a mountain. When that hits the earth's atmosphere, it becomes a fireball streaking across the sky until it lands. This is said that it wasn't a mountain, I don't believe this was a meteor that fell to the earth. I believe that the, the, the wording is specific. It's a great star. It comes from heaven. It's burning as it were a lamp. Not like a big fireball meteor coming down, but like it's burning like a lamp. You can see it. You know, whether there's this streak of light coming behind it as it speeds to the earth, I don't know about that. But I do know that it's going to be like a light, and it's coming down. And verse 11 says that the name of the star is called Wormwood. Listen, this is not a solar system star. You know, the stars out there in the universe that we see at night, they're basically like our sun is. And so the Lord's not talking about one of these solar system stars coming down. He's saying that there's a star that he's casting down to the earth, and it has a name, and it's called Wormwood. Now, look at chapter 9 and verse number 1. It says, the fifth angel sounded. We'll talk about this here in weeks to come. He said, I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. Now, watch this. And to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. You know, we find that 
in the book of Revelation that stars are commonly a reference to some type of a heavenly being. In this case, an evil being. Not a good angel, but a fallen angel. You say, why would he call them a star? The same reason that we call Hollywood stars. Well, they're a star. And you know, and as far as God's, not as far as God's, but in Satan's kingdom and in his realm, these are very powerful beings and they're referred to here as stars. So I believe that this is going to be a demonic being that comes down from the uh, heavens, the outer space, and he comes down and he's lit up like a, a burning lamp. That's the that's the best thing that the writers could liken it to. You know, I, I don't know if we saw it today. There might be something that we could associate. We might refer it to. You know, this this came down and it was like. Have you ever had somebody come up behind you with these new LED headlights on bright? <laughs> Maybe John would liken it to a. I don't. I doubt it. But this star called Wormwood, comes down to the earth. It's a celestial being. And this star, this and celestial being, has the power to poison all of the freshwater sources, the rivers, the freshwater lakes, and even the groundwater. How does he do it? I don't know. If this angel to the bottomless pit has a key, then somehow this star can get into the groundwater and can pollute it and make it wormwood. When it says that the waters were made bitter, it's not just talking about them tasting bad. It's talking about them being poisonous, deadly poisonous. If you were to drink wormwood, then it would poison you and you would die. So this third trumpet is going to be God's judgment upon the freshwater. How are things looking here on planet Earth so far? They're not looking good. I mean, the land's getting hammered. The ocean's getting hammered. The fresh water's getting hammered. If you'll recall, this is, there's so many similarities between what's going on. It seems like the inhabitants of the earth all have the same heart as Pharaoh had in Egypt in the Exodus. You know, it's like they're, they're just trying to figure out, well, I think I've got enough left here. Only a third is gone. You know, the grass is all burnt up, but you know, I've got, you know, I've got some stuff in the silo here. I can feed my cows until the grass grows up. And so mankind is just figuring out a way to survive anything but get right with God who's judging them. Now, the Word of God does not say this. And so I don't have the right to represent God, but I will say this. If somehow, some way in all of this, that the human race would acknowledge, wow, we need to get right with you, God. I believe that he would stop these judgments because that's the nature of our God. You know, he sent judgment to Nineveh and he told Jonah, go into Nineveh and say, Yet in 40 days, I'm going to overthrow you. And what did the Ninevites do? 
they repented in sackcloth and ashes. And you know what God did? He withheld His hand of judgment upon Nineveh. Jesus said that the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment against this generation because they repented. Jonah just said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He had no poems. He had no illustrations. He didn't make them cry. He didn't make them laugh. He didn't entertain them. He didn't even put his whole heart into it. He just goes, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He didn't even want them to repent. And yet they heard his message and they repented. And the Lord says, God's going to use them to judge us. What What is man going to say with all of the technology and access that we have had to the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet mankind in general is saying, we don't want you, God, we're not interested. And then we have the fourth and the final judgment of part one, this fourth ecological judgment in verse number 12. It says that the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, the third part of the moon and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened and the day shone not for a third part of it and the night likewise. Now to me, and I mentioned this I think a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus said to about the elect, he said, except those days should be shortened. Not even the elect could be, uh, would be saved. And I, I'm just saying it's, it's a plausible concept that this third part of the day and third part of the night, you know, if you just, if you just smote a third part of the day, then basically it would be eight hours, so to speak, or it would be at least four hours of the sun, nothing shining, kind of like at the cross that from noon till 3 p.m. that the sun refused to shine while Jesus was dying on the cross. You just have that. But when the Lord says here that not only a third part of the day, but also of the night, it just, I'm just saying it appears to me plausible that perhaps the earth is turning a third faster and those 24 hour days are now becoming 16 hour days. Now, if I'm wrong, and I could be, this is still very significant. That means darkness for three hours or excuse me, for four hours in the day, and then total darkness for four hours of the night. Listen, ask someone who lives near the North Pole how darkness affects them psychologically over an extended period of time. You know, just just the other day, remember how dark and cold it was and cloudy just for a, a whole day? You talk to people, it's like, it just you just feel all gloomy and you feel a little bit depressed. Imagine that going on day after day where you just don't get much sunshine and much light. And even at night, if for four hours of the nighttime you can't even see the moon or the stars and it's just pitch dark, if you've ever went to Linville Caverns, they'll take you deep down into those the mountainside. Uh, and, and right in the middle of the heart of that mountain, they'll turn off all the lights and you literally, you cannot see anything in front of you. I don't like being in that situation for four seconds. It's creepy. It's oppressive. Give me at least a little bit of light. Just a flashlight. Maybe just a match or a light or some kind of light where I can at least 
make out what's in front of me, but total darkness. They said in that tour, when you go down in Linville Caverns, that it would only take a few days of that for your mind, for you to totally lose your mind. And eventually you would go blind for the lack of light uh, hitting your eyeball. It's not a good thing. It's not a pleasant thing. And so I close with verse number 13. It says, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. This is only, while there are three woes being said, this is actually only the first of three woes. Look at Revelation 9 and verse number 12. It says, one woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. Folks, these four trumpet judgments, you think, what more? What more can planet earth, what more can the human race even withstand? We've got people that are dead and people that are suffering and animals and trees and water and all the effect. I can't even imagine how each one of these trumpet plagues has affected people, even in the areas geographically that didn't get burned up to begin with. God has been pleading with man to repent for thousands of years. Man continually rejects God's counsel rejects his warning, rejects his salvation. And now, God has nothing more to say other than woe. W-O-E. Woe is what you get when you won't listen to woe. When you won't, when God says you need to stop, you need to turn. Revelation 2, verse number 21 to the church in Thyatira, Jesus is speaking to a woman he calls Jezebel. It's a teaching. She was teaching Christ's servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And Jesus said, and I gave her space to repent of her fornication. She repented not. Folks, God has been speaking and he's been saying, woe, W-H-O-A, For thousands of years, he's been sending prophets and preachers and the word of God has been published. Paul said, repent. Peter said, repent. Every man of God has had a message. John the Baptist said, repent. God's been saying it for thousands of years. Man has repetitively and even more so in today's culture. Not interested, God. I want my fornication. I want my violence. I want what I want. And I'm not interested in giving you any glory and honor. I'm going to do what I want to do. God's got His hands stretched out and He's saying, if you'll just repent, I'll rescue you, I'll redeem you, I will save you. Perhaps maybe... There's someone here today, someone under the sound of my voice, that God is giving you space today to repent. You don't need a lot of space. You just need a little space. If God's saying to you, woe, 
You need to turn. You need to get right with God today. You need to trust Jesus Christ today. If, you're, if he's saying that, if you're thinking that in your heart, it's coming from God. It's not coming from your own imaginations. God is the one that's speaking to your heart. And that means that he's giving you a little space here today. And I close with this thought. If that's you, today could be your last chance. Don't reject the space that God's given you to get right with him. Get right with him so you don't have to face all these judgments that are coming to the inhabitants of planet Earth.